So please sit comfortably, everyone. A week or two ago, I made reference to um, a book called uh, Dogen, Mystical Realist. Um, I'd like to talk a little bit more about Dogen tonight, Dogen the person and some of his, his particular take on Zen and how it influences us today because he was, he's, was a very um, a very influential figure in um, Japanese Buddhism and Zen and um, was the founder of the Soto sect and while we have combination of Rinzai, Soto sect and we're not particularly sectarian in that way um, a lot of the Soto tradition comes down to us through Dogen. Um, I was going to do, I was going to combine two themes tonight, but I'll just stick with Dogen. Um, it may surprise you or not, but I don't actually read many books on Zen. It's a, a, a sort of unusual for me to have read um, two books in about a week, um, but I reread um, Dogen's Mystical Realism and I read Joko's new book as well and I was going to combine them but I'll, I'll actually keep them separate. But with Dogen, I'll say a little bit about Dogen the person. He was actually born in um, uh, uh, into our aristocracy and his um, father was an emperor who who died uh, when Dogen was two years old and his mother was a one of the ladies of the the court in the aristocratic circle and she died when he was seven and so he lost both parents very early on and uh, it's said that when his mother died um, he saw the incense drifting up from her funeral pyre and became very conscious of the passing away of all things. And that experience and the intensity of losing his second parent, one can imagine, drew him into quite in, intense Dharma practice. So from a very young age, he was brought up in a monastery, but not just because he was supposed to, he had this natural um, um, drive, you know, to understand the Dharma and to practice the Dharma. And what you what you gather through reading the book is someone of a very, very determined nature. And um, he would he would go to a particular teacher or teaching, and he he wouldn't be satisfied with the uh, with the teacher or the what he saw as the quality of teaching. So he'd go to another teacher. It's not as though he'd just jump from teacher to teacher. He'd stay with these people for years. Um, and then he would he would feel like he, there was still a barrier there um, that he needed to address. So he ends up going to China, you know, and um, studies with um, Zhu Jing, um, who really emphasised the, the centrality of Zazen and did a lot of Zazen practice, had an awakening experience and and came back to Japan and then was the the founder of the Soto sect. One of the 
I got a lot more out of reading this book. I read it, I think, when I was at the beginning of my Zen practice um, back in the 70s and uh, reading it a, a second time now, uh, there, was, there was more in it for me. But one of the things that really strikes me about Dogen's Zen and Dogen's Buddhism is how completely non-dual it is. Mm. Completely. It's like it's all-inclusive. And um, he's quite challenging of other Dharma teachings and, and other teachers. Like particularly, for example, even within the Zen sect, do you know Zen is, according to Bodhidharma, a teaching outside of the sutras, do you know, and outside of word and letters. Well, Joker, uh, not Joker, um, Dogen really even challenged that, that we're setting up this duality between experience and language. Uh, and so he validated the importance of language as well. Language has Buddha nature as well. Uh-huh. So he didn't set up this duality between we're special because we're outside of language. Um, language is inclusive in the human experience. And because he had a very refined literary upbringing, um, he really, really appreciated um, what language actually brought to Dharma as well. And he encouraged his monks to study and read the sutras as well as do lots of zazen. Um, also, he never even called it Zen. He, he called it, just called it Buddhism. He was not interested in dividing into any sectarian views. Um, what is also interesting too, which um, in the light of our modern day experience um, may seem not particularly unusual, but Dogen back in 12th century patriarchal Japan stated quite clearly that women and men equally had Buddha nature, that they're equal. Now, that seems like a truism to us today, but back in that era, it was quite radical for him to actually express that view, you know, not just to think it, but to actually express it. Um, so, and the other important aspect of his practice too is the, the, in, the integration of, um, of mind-body. And, and what he's saying about the mind-body is not, um, oh, the mind impacts on the body and the impacts on, and the body impacts on the mind. He is saying the body is the mind. The mind is the body. There's no, there's no dualism there at all. Um, it's a complete inclusiveness of existence. One of his key statements was that existence is Buddha nature. That was his, his key message. Mm-hmm. Existence is Buddha nature. And it all comes together as a practice in the, the act of zazen, because one of his other well-known statements was that zazen is enlightenment. Not that you do zazen in order to become enlightened, but zazen is enlightenment. So one of the very wonderful things about Zen practice and about Sazen, but just the way it manifests in your everyday life, is that most, nearly everyone's behaviour in life is done towards reaching a goal, you know, to make money or buy a house or impress someone or 
have a certain status or to become skilled at doing something. Um, what Sazen is, it's, it's different to all those activities in that it's a self-fulfilling activity. It doesn't have a goal outside of itself. Mm -hmm. You're not doing it in order to become enlightened. You're not doing it in order to find meaning in life. You're not doing it in order to become happy. Um, and he would say, as many Zen teachers say, that if you're doing Sazen as a, as a means whereby to get somewhere, you've missed the point of it. So by doing this practice over and over again, that the centrality of Sazen in practice, we do it long enough and we, we finally get it that it's a self-fulfilling activity, that Sazen is, is the awakened experience. Um, one of his writings was called the Genjo Koan. And I was looking up this afternoon what the translation of that actually means. Gen means um, manifesting and Jo means completely. So the kind of the, the meaning of the Genjo Koan is manifesting completely as this moment. That's what it is. Now, the wording um, that I came across, um, I picked up on, and it said in the wording that I read, becoming completely a moment in this present moment. And I went, no, 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 that's not it. That, that's, that's a dualism, you know. Becoming completely present, completely manifesting as the present moment has a, has a different message to it. You know, this moment is you. You are this moment. Mm -hmm. And what's also interesting in it as well, um, while it's non-dualistic, what comes through very strongly in Dogen's Zen teaching, it's not an annihilation of the self at all. It's not an annihilation of this body or this, this sense of self that we have. Even that's inclusive as well. Everything has its own uniqueness. Everything has its own form that it needs to be regarded and, and respected. They're all the positive things about Dogen. Um, he spoke and he taught in a very different culture in a very, very different time to what we do. And one of the wonderful things about Zen which keeps it alive is that the essence is there, but different teachers and different personalities adapted to their time, their life and times. Joko's a good example of that. She's got the essence of it there, um, but she's adapted it to 20th century, 21st century American life, Western life, where it speaks, the language speaks to people. Um, there's a lot about Dogen's language that I read, and it just, goes over my head. It's too too elaborate, trying to say, to my mind, it's saying simple things in, in too complicated, elaborate ways at times. But maybe that's what spoke to his, um, his particular um, uh, life and times. The other thing about him, like no Zen teacher is perfect either. We've all got our foibles. And if there is seen to be something strange or a bit odd about Dogen is there's a kind of obsessionality 
and um, he, he he made up a ritual for everything, uh, and particularly around washing and cleanliness of the body. Now it was different to the old Buddhist view, you know, where the body was seen as this kind of bag of pus and blood, and you know, and you you not you don't develop attachment to the body. You can see that Dogen saw the body as a temple in a way, and but he developed all of these rituals, day-to-day rituals, you know, to honour the body, you know, through cleaning it. And and there was a ritual for washing your face and there was a ritual for having your your hair cut off as a monk and cleaning clothes and cleaning toilets and everything. So it's kind of like every moment is special, so let's kind of ritualise it. Um, but... You can see that coming through in Soto Zen, um, but it, it also has its challenges. And um, I'll, I'll tell you a, an actual funny story about it, which sort of the story brings it alive more than me explaining it. Um, but Robert Aiken Roshi, as you know, who was um, my teacher before Joko, um, had a, a great love of Dogen and um, identified with it a lot and did a lot of translations of Dogen. But one time he went over to Japan and he was invited as a guest to stay at Eheji, which was Dogen's temple. Um, it's a very beautiful temple in the mountains. And, uh, and uh, he was there as a guest and, and uh, uh, he was in his guest room or whatever. And there was a ritual for everything. And, um, and there was even a ritual for how you put rubbish into a rubbish tin. And uh, one of the monks who was his attendants happened to be there at the time where he put rubbish into a rubbish bin. And he said, and, and the monk was a bit sanctimonious about it, said, oh, do you know, teacher, you know, it's not the right way you do it. You know, there's a right way of putting rubbish in a rubbish bin. And, and uh, Aiken Roshi said to him, I'll show you the right way, the Dharma way of putting rubbish in a rubbish bin. And he threw an apple core in the rubbish bin. <laughs> <laughs> there's the ritual there was a way of him cutting through of all this kind of elaborate stuff um, that got developed so we don't want to actually inherit some of that obsessionality but at the core of Dogen's teachings um, there, there's, a, there's a wonderful teaching which is there uh, which is really a, a practice that brings true freedom in your life Perhaps one of the rituals, we, we do, we do um, inherit that ritual, you know, and we, we have a, a certain form, you know, that we've inherited from Japanese culture with the black cushions and the bowing and the somewhat strictness in, in the way we do things. We inherit that from, from Dogen in Japanese culture and there's something wonderful about it, I think, um, as long as you don't take it too far. And in Orioki, is an elaborate ceremony in a sense, you know, where every every movement is part of that ritual mm-hmm. of mindful engagement in the present. And so it's good for it to come through mm-hmm. in some ways. Um, but if you take it to an extreme and you try and um, ritualise your whole life, um, perhaps it, um, it it's not serving the purpose of bringing forth spontaneity. Mm-hmm. 
and and your own your own exper- authentic experience of yourself. So we have a lot to um, be grateful for in um, in Dogen's teachings, and um, probably the most accessible book if you're interested in reading about him a bit more is the book called Moon in a Dewdrop, which was translated by Robert Aitken Roshi and a Japanese artist who's Tanizaki, I think his yeah. name escapes me, Tanizaki. Yeah. But that's probably the most um, accessible book um, if you'd like to read further about it. But um, next week I should have finished um, Joko's book, um, became, becoming a bit of a Zen nerd, um, reading all of these books. And uh, I'd like to give a, a separate presentation um, on Joko's teaching. Another, like I said before, another unique teacher um, who brought her own unique style of practice, which broke away from a lot of tradition. Um, but as many people, obviously, I'm one of them, many people feel like really, really speaks to our time and our age today, not to necessarily 12th century Japanese culture.